Well, good morning, Word of Grace. Some pretty good worship this morning. You guys sounded good. So uh, before I get started today, I have to say I, uh, I originally thought that uh, now that I'm a new dad that I would want to bring my child on stage as an illustration for every single time that I taught. <laughs> but the next one that Pastor Derek had me scheduled for was talking about sexual sin, so <laughs> check and mate. Uh, she won't be coming up today. Uh, but she sends her love. Uh, man. So this morning, I, I hope you brought your reading glasses. Uh, we're going to do just like we did last week. We're going to be getting in the Word. We're going to read all three chapters of what we're talking about today. We're in 1 Corinthians, if you don't know, uh, talking about the gospel fix, how the gospel challenges us and helps us to fix the issues that we have in our lives. And uh, we're picking up in chapter 5, which is right where Pastor Derek left, left off last week. Um, so before we get started, I'd like to pray, and then we're just going to dive in, okay? So, God, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity this morning to worship you. You are worthy of the worship we just gave, and we can't wait to give more through honoring your word and through honoring you through our lives during the work week. God, we love you. We pray that you would teach us this morning. If there are things in here we don't like, I pray that we would set ourselves aside and understand that we need to align with you, not the other way around. Lord, help me not to have my own opinions here, but that I'd be teaching what you had to say and that you would fix our mind and our heart with this. In Jesus' name, everybody says, amen, amen. amen. All right, so picking up where we left off last week. Paul's addressing the church of Corinth, and he's heard some pretty bad news about some of the stuff going on there. And uh, he's trying to directly uh, tackle each issue. And he's already talked about division within the church and how people are kind of being prideful and, and selfish. And then he's moving on uh, in chapter 5 to uh, talking about sexual sin, and then he gets into... Um, uh, divorce and, and stuff like that. And I got to say, it's a little bit of a minefield for us to walk through today uh, in our culture when we read this. Uh, but this is the word, and we're going to read it directly off the page. I'm not making any of this up. Um, by the way, if you have any young ears today that you don't want to hear about this kind of stuff, we have classes, and uh, they can head on back right now. Otherwise, it's the Bible, not my own opinion. All right, here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're just going to shoot through the whole thing. Here we go. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I'm present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump get to be a lump today, as you really are unleavened. 
For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing you to not, I'm sorry, writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a viler, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Whew, okay. Let's just move on. No, just kidding. Ah, uh, man. Paul's upset. Rightly so. Um, I want to go ahead and, and tell you the gospel is an open invitation for everyone to come in. It's not an open invitation to stay the same. Okay? And that's what Paul's saying here. And I know that there's a lot of people who are going to read this this morning and say, wait a second, he's being mean. He's being really mean. He's saying, get rid of him, kick him out. If he goes to hell, let him go. Yep, that is what he's saying. You were correct to be offended by that if, if that's what you were offended by. However, I want you to, to see God's okay with that. There's a reason, okay? He's challenging us to change. Um, let me start in verse 1. And I, I'm not typically somebody who's going to dive into language study or, or word study, but the word that Paul uses there for immorality is, uh, is the root word where we get uh, pornography from, porneia, right? Uh, be careful when you word search that if you want to look this up later and test me. Okay, um, so this word, it kind of encapsulates everything that's outside of a godly marriage. Um, it's kind of interesting that their culture had something for that. Our culture doesn't. We have all these different little things, and we kind of say, is that one okay? Is this one okay? Is that one okay? Is this one okay? We don't really have a word that, that captures everything that's outside of godly marriage. They did which tells you they understood that God designed sex for marriage. They understood that well enough to know anything outside of that isn't his design. Doesn't mean they didn't do it, but they at least understood God designed it to be one man, one woman, together for life. And that's where that was to be enjoyed, right? They knew that. They didn't necessarily do that. That's why they had this word for that. So the culture understood God's plan for marriage. We don't have to kind of insert our own idea into that at all. They had an idea. And now there's this man who, uh, who didn't realize that after the age of 10, it's no longer good to be given the same woman a Valentine's Day card and a Mother's Day card. Um, and uh, yeah. Paul's saying, I shouldn't even have to explain this one, guys. Even the Greeks, who are pretty with their sexuality, are saying, mm-mm, no, no. 
right? I shouldn't have to tell you this one, and yet you guys are acting like, ah, look at him. <laughs> Boasting about it. Are you kidding me? Boasting about something that's so wrong, even the world's looking at it going, um, no, 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 right? This is something that should have shocked the church and didn't. They should have done something about it, and they did, they did do something. They did the wrong thing. They actually were like, you know what? Hey, cool, go, go get it, bud. And Paul says, no, we, we can't allow that. And you literally have to remove him. And I know that the gospel invites people in, and it does, everybody. It invites everybody in, even the worst sinner among us. But God loves you enough to not leave you the same. And this guy was not only being the same, he was, he was kind of getting other people involved in, in what he was doing. It was becoming something that was celebrated. And I'd liken it to this. Um, if you were going to go to a gym because you had been getting out of shape and eating too many donuts, if you were to go into the gym, they'd invite you in. They'd say, yes, you belong here. We're going to help you get healthy. Absolutely, come on in. We don't care how you look, where you're at on your health scale. You're invited. Now, if I come in and I bring a box of glazed with me and I'm just walking around going, woo, that looks hard. And I'm eating my donuts and I'm like, hey, I got extras. I brought another dozen. Who wants them? And I start handing them out. That gym owner has a job, doesn't he? He needs to kick me out. Because what I'm doing is not even just damaging myself. I've, I've completely neglected the idea of what this gym is there for. Now I've started infecting his gym. I've started making it something where other people who were there who were getting better are now going to start getting worse. And that's not what they're there for. As the gym owner, it is his job to kick me out for their good as well as for my own. I need to understand that's not okay. And if no one ever does anything about it, they're like, oh yeah, there's Fat Pete with the donuts. <laughs> I'm comfortable. Why would I leave? Why would I change? No one's challenged me to it. Paul's saying, no, no, no. We kick him out. Um, he actually, he does it aggressively. I, um, I found this video that I got to show you guys, and, and it's a trainer, and it's, it's almost exactly what I just said happened. He's been training this guy and helping this guy who needs to get in shape, and, uh, and then the guy leaves the gym, and this guy follows him around to see what happens and finds him here. Paul's saying to do, man, you got to get up in their face. This is life and death. We can't play. We can't play. By the way, incidentally, 
every time I do like five push-ups and walk on the treadmill for 10 minutes, I'd kind of walk around like that. <laughs> I look a lot like that guy, I think. No, Paul's saying, man, it, you have to be offensive with it. This is life and death. This is eternity. Stop caring so much about this person's momentary emotions and start worrying about their eternal consequences, right? Stop looking at the way they feel. Start thinking about the way God feels. And I get this question a lot. I, I teach the youth here. I'm the family pastor. If you didn't know, I teach the youth. And once a year, I try to do a series where I let them ask whatever question they want, and we try and tackle those questions. We call it hard questions, and we just go through it, right? The questions I get by far the most often have to deal with common new problems of sexuality and those kinds of things within their schools, within their culture, and how to not offend people because they've been taught it's absolutely not okay to ever offend anybody. Wrong. Wrong. Now, we don't be offensive on purpose, church, so don't, don't hear me encouraging you to go out and be a jerk to people today. We're not going to do that. We speak the truth in love. But if they're offended, for God's sake, awesome. Because God just challenged them to change so that he can spend eternity with them, loving them. Not letting them go to hell because we were too afraid to hurt their feelings. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? And Paul said, stop it. Kick them out. Sometimes we need to do that. Kick people out of your life. Sometimes you need to speak the truth in love, but speak the truth. And it's hard. It's hard, okay? We're going to move on. Now we're going into chapter 6. We're going to go all the way to verse 11. Ready? Here we go. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare to go, I'm sorry, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. He's being offensive again. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that, and that there before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. He's saying you're already being too petty if you have to do that. Get over it. That's what he's saying. Why not rather be defrauded? He's saying literally, it's better to just let whatever happened to you happen than to cause all this problem within the church. Pretty wild, okay? Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god and such 
were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's saying, yeah, you were that way, but God washed you. It's time to change. And I want to note, Paul is, is kind of doing two things here. He's addressing the fact that there are people suing each other within the church. And he's saying, that's ridiculous. Grow up. Get over it. Stop doing that. He touched me, daddy. Right? They're acting like children in the backseat of the car. Stop it. Grow up. Get over it. You're embarrassing us. But more importantly, he's talking about, hey, I understand that legally there are certain things we can do. But just because it's legal doesn't mean it's wise. You guys have seen some of our laws, yes? Yes, okay. Just because it's legal to drive 70 miles per hour down 43, when it's covered with a foot of snow, it's not wise. Yes, the speed limit says 70. Use your brain, right? We've all seen what happens to those who don't. And he's saying, hey, yes, legal, but more importantly, what's right? Stop doing all this. Let's go before the law of the world. And then he kind of, he uses verse 12 as like this segue. And I, I kind of want to just read this one by itself. This is a good one for you to read. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. He's saying you're being dominated by your selfish desire. Just because that falls within your right legally doesn't make it good. There are so many things that legally we're entitled to here in America. That doesn't make it good. I am entitled when I go to Pizza Ranch to eat as much as I want. I am entitled to eat till they close. Sometimes I'm tempted to. Not wise, folks. It's not wise. I'm giving myself over to a desire that actually has a healthy place. I need that hunger, don't I? I need that hunger. And he's about to go back into sexual sin, and I think that's why he's talking about this law because he's saying, hey, yes, there is a place where the law kind of has something to do with it, but what's right before Jesus? And just like my hunger has a healthy place, but if I let it take control of me, I'm going to be unhealthy quick, so it's the same for our sexual desire. There's a healthy place for it that makes me say, hey, I'd like to sleep in the same bed as my wife tonight. I've got a hunger for that, so I'm going to have to stop being a jerk. But legally, I'm right about this conversation I'm having with her. I know that technically I'm right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Men, amen? amen? Women, amen? amen? You know what I'm talking about. You've been right, and you were still wrong. <laughs> Paul's saying that. He's saying, hey, yeah, technically, legally, you can do that. That doesn't make it a good idea. Just because you can doesn't mean it's right. Okay? We're called to do what is right and what glorifies God. 
not to get away with as much as we legally can. I'm going to say that again. We're called to do what is right and glorifies God, not to get away with as much as we legally can. And that's what these people were doing. They were trying to get away with as much as possible. With that in mind, here we go. We're going to read all the rest of today's reading right now. All right? Here we go. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy both and the other. I'm sorry. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I'm going to keep going, but I want you to at least pause there and see that. Your body was not meant for sexual immorality. It was meant to give God glory. And he's saying, glorify God in your body. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. He didn't say, hey, try to, you know, if you can, when it's convenient, use your body for God. The rest of the time, it's your, it's your toy. It's your amusement park. Enjoy. He didn't, he didn't even hint that you own it at all. And he's going to go farther and say even more of that here in the next bit. He's going to say, your body's not your own. It was purchased. And if you're married, he's going to say, you gave it away to somebody else too. So it's not yours. All right, here we go. Uh, chapter 7. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's in quotes, note. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Notice there's no S's on the end of that. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does. Told you I was coming, right? Yeah, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it's good for them to remain single as I am. 
But if they cannot exercise self-control, those darn widows, they should marry. <laughs> Apparently the widows around there were <laughs> careful. They didn't have the term cougar back then, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. All right. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. Know what he's saying? This is not me speaking. This is God. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Don't throw anything yet. Let me finish. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. He's saying, you married her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? He's saying, hey, missionary dating isn't the best idea, okay? If they, if they don't love Jesus, that's probably not your best way to go. You don't know if it's going to work. Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks, the marks of circumcision. I don't know what all that entails, by the way. That's weird. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he, uh, called is a bondservant of Christ. In other words, you're free because God loves you, but you're also, you, you've claimed him, he's claiming you, right? So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. In other words, he's saying, God didn't say this directly to me, but God's given me wisdom, so trust what I'm saying because I speak for him. Okay? I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. In other words, something bad was happening. There was lots of uh, major persecution and changes on the way, and Paul saw it coming. He said, hey, this is not a good time for you to change things up. It's already going to be challenging enough. Okay? Stay the same. And that's kind of something he keeps saying. Uh, where was I? Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, 
you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. Don't say amen, don't nudge your partner. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers, that the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. Again, no nudging. And his interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Fairly basic here. He's just saying, hey, if you're single, you got all your time and energy to give to God. If you're not, you owe that person some of your time and energy. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion in the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Thanks for getting through that with me. That's a lot. And what he's addressing here, folks, is issues that they had brought up. This isn't something he just decided to go on this long talk, this long monologue about all these different rules for marriage. These were questions they were bringing up. These were problems they were bringing up on a regular basis. And I want to remind you that in verse 13 of chapter 6, Paul had said, your body was created to glorify God. And these people had started to use their body to glorify their body. And they were using the law around that. So they, they knew some things about the legal law and the religious law, like, hey, I'm not supposed to have sex outside of marriage. That's wrong. I'll get in trouble for that. So what I'll do instead is I'll just trade in for a new wife every couple years. Because then hey, I'm still getting the desires, my own selfish desires, my own perversion of what sex is because it's not supposed to be something that's just for me. But I've got my own ideas about what I need. And so I'm just going to trade out every couple years because as long as I'm married to her, it's okay, right? No. He's saying, no, 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 no. That's wrong. You're doing it all wrong. Your body is to glorify God, which then means, of course, your sex drive is to glorify God. What? Your marriage is to glorify God, not yourself, not your own desires. 
And people don't like reading through this because it says stuff like, you know, you shouldn't get divorced and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not here at all to make anybody feel bad about that today. Listen, if there's some things that the church has handled poorly, you'll notice that I kind of skimmed over one earlier. I'll talk about it a little bit more, but homosexuality, church has done poorly. Divorce, the church has done poorly in the past, okay? I'm sorry for that. Let me apologize on behalf of the church. Pornography addictions, swept under the rug. These are things that, for some reason, have been sensationalized into awful, awful, awful things while the rest of our sin is almost celebrated, like Paul was talking about that, that guy. Let me apologize on behalf of the church, okay? Those aren't sensational sins that make you some horrible, horrible human being while the rest of us are okay. Not true. However, they're not God's plan. I need to be able to balance both of those with you this morning, okay? Those of you who have been divorced will tell you probably it's not God's plan. It's painful. It causes a lot of hurt. It causes a lot of heartbreak. It's not fun. It's not good. No one have I ever heard say, man, I wish I could get divorced again. That was so much fun. No. That's tough. And I get that. And what Paul was saying here was, hey, some of you are just doing it just because you're tired of your, your partner and you're, you're ready to move on because of your own desires. That's not okay. We don't get out of marriage easily. It is not something to be gotten into lightly. It's not something to get out of lightly. So be careful. When you're taking on that person, it's your job to love and serve them not to get out of them what you can and then leave them behind. That's not at all God's plan. Because God, you'll, you'll note in the Bible how often God uses marriage as a way to talk about his own relationship with the church. Right? He talks about us as his bride. And I want you to think about what he got out of that deal. Some of you are laughing, so you get it. He didn't get a great deal, folks. You have nothing to offer him. I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings this morning, but it's true. You have nothing to offer him. He had it all already. He chose of his own free will to love and serve you. And it cost him his life. At any point, he could have said, you know what? Nope, I'm out but he saw it through all the way to the end. That's the gospel, and that's what we're challenged to, and that's how I'm challenged to love my wife, even when maybe I'm not getting what I want that day out of her. She didn't greet me with the biggest smile and say, you're the most handsome, strong man I've ever seen in my life. Good for her. She's not lying that day, <laughs> right? But it's still my job to serve and love her. That's my job. That's what I signed on for. Not to see what she can give me, but to see what I can give her. And hopefully she's seen her role exactly the same. And when she does, we're honoring God in our relationship. But even if only one of us is honoring God by the way we serve them, okay. There's going to be times where you feel like you're the only one trying to honor God with the way you're acting. First of all, you're wrong because you're selfish and you're just seeing it through your own lens. We all do it. Second of all, that's okay. Even if, even if you are the one doing more, serving more, loving more, 
Great. God's honored by that. That's exactly what Jesus did for you. Now you're getting to see what it's like to be more like Jesus. That's the whole point, right? The gospel fixes marriage by showing us, hey, it's not about you. It's not about your desire. We serve lovingly, selflessly. And when we're just getting into and out of relationships, that doesn't honor God. I want to also note, okay, before we move on from that, about the homosexuality. That one comes up all the time. And the reason that I didn't spend a whole lot of time on it earlier, I don't need to. It's not its own special thing that I need to spend a whole bunch of time and shake my finger at people. It's the same as the other things in there. It's the same as the other things in there. Okay? God has called sex to be in marriage. Marriage is to be between one man and woman. That's his design. He doesn't want you to go outside of it, but that doesn't mean that if you have temptations to, that you're worse than the rest of us. Everybody has temptations that are outside of God's design for marriage. Every person does. And if they don't, Paul says, you probably are a person that shouldn't have got married in the first place. You clearly don't have the drive that most of us do. Great! Use that to God's glory. Right? That's what he's saying. If, if, you're, if you're not somebody that needs that, who is, who is prone to want companionship, right? That's okay. Serve God with your whole life. But if you are going to do that, serve God in that way. And if you've got some sort of burden to carry, I'm sorry. I really am. That's tough. But we do all have our burdens to carry, and we need to glorify God in that. I say this often to the young people. When I was a 16-year-old boy, I had no desire to be with one woman the rest of my life. My heart did, but I can tell you my body didn't. Right? It had a desire to be with every woman walking. Thank you, Lord, that we age. Right? That was the temptation inside of me. It had nothing to do with honoring God. But the Bible doesn't say, hey, as long as your sex drive falls within the bounds of what God calls good marriage, go for it. If it doesn't, just do your thing. That's not in there, right? That was my burden to carry as a 16-year-old man. Boy, if I'm being honest. That was my burden to carry. And some of us have a burden to carry. I'm sorry, but God will help you with that. He helped me with it. And he broke me free of some things like a pornography addiction as a young man because I didn't honor God in the way that I was using that desire. And it only hurt me. It caused all kinds of guilt and brokenness within me. Thank the Lord that he broke me of that before I got married so that I could come into our marriage ready to serve and love. Came into it that way. I don't know how I did today so far, but it's a daily battle, right? And that's what he's pointing out. Marriage is tough. It's very tough. But it's about living as Jesus lived. So, as we're closing today, I just want to pray. I want to note um, the gospel fixes sexual sin. How? It charges us to grow in our purity and to cast out sin. The gospel isn't comfortable with sin, right? It's not comfortable with sin. It casts it out. It's gone. Leave. Not to be comfortable or proud of our errors. 
It charges us to do what honors God, not what we can technically get away with. If you're feeling like you need to tell somebody, hey, here's how this is right, and here's how I can explain how it's okay, it's not okay. You shouldn't have to. If it's right, they know it's right. You know it's right. God knows it's right. Okay? And it charges us to be selfless in our relationships, not seeking to fill our own desires. Your desires have nothing to do with God's design for marriage and sex. He has his own plan for it. Your desires do not dictate to him how it goes. His plan dictates to us how we can use our desires, yeah? Okay, so that's my challenge for you guys this morning. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to invite us in as we are, and so many of us have all these messed up, twisted ideas about marriage and sex and the way we should treat each other and our own desires, and our culture just feeds it, feeds it, feeds it, Lord. I pray that this morning, the word that we're so grateful you put in the Bible, because it's not easy to read, and it was probably hard to write, and it is offensive. It offends me. It, it challenges me even today to think about how selfish I can be within my own marriage. Lord, I pray that that would be hidden in our heart and that we'd be okay with the fact that sometimes we're offended because we have wrong ideas and you're trying to root those out of us and you're not inviting us to keep those there, but you're challenging us to move past that. And Lord, there's people here today dealing with hurts that come from this. Whether it's the fact that their desires don't fall in line with what you've called us to, or somebody has hurt them through these things, Lord, I pray that you would heal them this morning. Lord, that you would touch their heart and, and just ensure them you love them. Most importantly, you love them. They're invited to be part of the kingdom. You're going to try and keep working them growing them through these things, Lord. We know that. I just pray, though, more than anything, they would understand that you do that because you love them richly and you want to spend eternity with them, not just make them feel good in this moment, but, Lord, to spend eternity with them. I pray that we'd be challenged by that this morning, Lord, that we would honor you in our relationships with each other. And if we don't have relationships that are a marriage God, I pray that you would help us to understand what your will is in that, whether it's to stay single and honor you or if it's to seek a godly marriage. I pray that you'd help us with that. We thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.